family. This is my mother-in-law and, uh, and my wife, Pat. When I served on active duty, I was down in the Panama Canal Zone, and one, one day I met this beautiful officer who was a career officer, my wife, Pat. She outranked me. I had to salute her. And so through my whole career, she has always been ahead of me. And then a couple years ago, I retired, and nothing's changed. I still salute her, and she still outranks me. Only now her mother's here, who was the commanding general. And, um, and so we welcome them. It's so good to be here with you this morning. Um, God bless you. And Again, for what you're doing for our Lord Jesus Christ is really, really commendable. Um, I pray for you, and I thank God for you, and want to encourage you to keep doing what you do. You know, when I was in the military, I retired in 2012, so it's amazing how fast the years are slipping by, and I just keep getting older. But um, when I was in uniform, it was time to retire because the young guys and girls were saying to me, how can anybody so old still be in uniform? And so I figured it must be time. And then we moved and bought a house right in near Sun City Center. So here every Sunday and every week, I worked with all of these 18 to 25-year-olds. And then I moved to Sun City Center where they haven't seen an 18 to 25-year-old in 50 years. And, and they kept saying, how can you be retired? You're so young. So I love living there now. And, uh, and Well, it's good to be here with you this morning. You know, when I talk to young people and when I go to churches where I don't know people, you never quite know what kind of background they have, what kind of environment, whether it's a very formal, stiff church that they grew up in or that they worship in, or if it's more casual, like I sense it is here. I hope it is. I left my jacket on the chair over there. And, um, but you don't, don't know. And one of the things I've learned about young people is that... Um, a lot of them don't have a background in the scriptures. They don't have a background in growing up in churches. And so you have to make Christ real to them. And that's what you do by the living of your life. And this morning I want to share a story from John's gospel. It's in John chapter 6. Jesus was at really the pinnacle of his career. And, um, and at that time, he was probably the most popular that he would be in his entire earthly ministry. And he was going through the region outside of the Sea of Galilee called Tiberias, and, and a crowd had gathered because they had heard about him. And, um, you know, popularity breeds popularity. And so when he had decided to settle for that day to begin his teaching, the crowd was already large, but it continued to grow. And there was a little boy there, and that's what I want to talk about this morning how God used one of the kids from the neighborhood to help create a miracle. And I think that's what he'll do for us. That's what he's doing for you. So if you have your Bibles, it's in John chapter 6, verses 1 through 15. If you don't, I'll read it up for you. Um, but after this, Jesus went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. It was also called the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd kept following him because they saw signs that he was doing for the sick. And Jesus went up the mountain and was there with his disciples. Now it was the Passover, the feast of the Jews was near. And when he looked up and he saw the large crowd coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread for all of these people to eat? 
And he said this to test him, for he knew what he was going to do. And Philip answered and said, Six months' wages won't buy enough bread to feed all of these that are here, not even a little. And one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a lad, there is a boy here, who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what would that be among so many people? And Jesus said, Go, make the people sit down. Now there was a great deal of grass in that place, so they sat down, about 5,000 of them. And then Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to all who were seated, and also the fish, as much as they wanted. And they were satisfied. And then he said to the disciples, Gather up the fragments that are left over, so that nothing may be lost. And so they gathered them up, the fragments of the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. And it equaled 12 baskets, 12 baskets of leftover. And then he, when the people had seen the sign that he had done, they began to say, this is indeed a prophet who has come into our world. And when Jesus realized they were about to come and make him by force a king, he withdrew to the mountain there to be by himself. And there ends our reading from God's word for this morning. Will you pray with me? Lord, I thank you for this congregation. I thank you for Chris Smith, their pastor, and for the ministry that you are accomplishing through their combined work. And Lord, I thank you for your holy word. Allow it now through human words to speak the eternal message of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, I, I introduced my mother-in-law and my wife and... Um, they're so important to me. And at the next service, God willing, and they get out of bed, my daughter and my grandson will be here. So we'll, we'll, we'll have the whole family here. But there's one person that I was looking for, and I couldn't find him at the 830 service, and that's Brandon. I'm sure he's here somewhere. Maybe you've seen him. He's about three foot tall. He's got um, blonde hair, blue eyes, stubby little legs, stubby little arms, and can get more trouble than a bull in a china shop. You ever seen a kid like that? Yeah, me too, but he's 30-some now. <laughs> but um, Brandon knows everything there is to know about me, and I know he knows that I'm here this morning. Well, Brandon, not only does he know everything about me, he knows everything that I do. When I would get up first thing in the morning, I lived in a parsonage. Do you have parsonages here? Yeah, that's where the, they put the pastor so they can keep an eye on him, you know. Um, well, I would try to slip out early in the morning and get the newspaper in my coffee-stained bathrobe before anybody could see me. And from next door where Brandon lived, he'd be, Hey, hey, Mr. Man! I'd be like, no, not now, Brandon. I'm just waking up. I would um, want to go for a morning run. Brandon would be out in the yard. Can I go with you, man? Can I go with you, Mr. Man? Can I go with you? I would want to ride my bicycle after work. Can I go with you, Mr. Man? Can I go? No, Brandon, you can't go with me. You know what you can do? You can leave me alone. Everything that I did, Brandon was there. I mean, he was always after me. He wanted to do everything with me, no matter what. Any of you old enough to remember Dennis the Menace and Mr. Wilson? That's what it was like. I was grumpy old Mr. Wilson, and Dennis, Brandon, wanted to do everything with me. 
Well, Brandon, um, he called me Mr. Man because one day I said to him, it is really rude that you call me man. So he started calling me Mr. Man. And uh, <laughs> well, wherever I went, he was there. I, I can remember going to the grocery store, going down the frozen food aisle, and I would hear, hey, it's Mr. Man. Mr. Man's in the grocery. Mommy, mommy, there's Mr. Man. Mr. Man, why do you have so much food in your cart? Mr. Man, why do you have all that ice cream in your cart? My mommy says you must eat a lot because you run all the time and you're still fat. <laughs> My mommy says you shouldn't eat ice cream. Ice cream will make you get fat and then you'll get sick and then you'll die. Wherever I went, there was Brandon. He wanted to know everything about me. I can remember living in the parsonage. Friday was my day off, and so I'd get to sleep in a little bit. He would start ringing the doorbell at 7.30 in the morning. My dear mom, God rest her soul, flew out to Ohio to be with us, and um, she loved Brandon. Of course, the reason she loved Brandon is she, he thought I was my mother's father. He would ring the doorbell, ring, 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 ring. And my mom came to the door, sweet, sweet, God rest her soul. Oh, Brandon, sweetheart, what do you want? Can your daddy come out and play? <laughs> he picked her a bouquet of flowers. I had a flower garden, a rock garden. It was one of those don't mess with my flower garden gardens. He had picked the flowers, pulled them out by the roots, and gave them to my, my mother. She just loved that little angel that was named Damien. And, um, um, and I remember going to the plant nursery that later that morning to replace them, to fill the holes in where he had pulled them up. And I left them in the back seat of the car thinking I'll grab a bite to eat and um, ring, 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 ring. Mr. Man, Mr. Man, I watered the plants for you. As I looked out and saw the garden hose next to my car window that was open, wherever I went, and I just know, I just know that the day I die, a hearse will pull up in front of my house and Brandon will be driving. <laughs> and he'll say, I told you, Mr. Man, you shouldn't have ate all that ice cream. <laughs> Kids, what do they want? They're a nuisance. They're a blessing. They're so sweet and tender and precious. And there are times that are times. And, uh, but isn't it the same for us, even after we grow up? What do we want? We really just want to be loved. We want someone to pay attention to us, to accept us. When we say, can I go with you? Can I be near you? We just want them to say yes. Robert Musgrave had served his entire life as a missionary to Africa. He was Scottish, and he had gone home to Scotland to recruit people to take his place as a missionary in the dark continent. He had a schedule. He was going to itinerate throughout um, this portion of Scotland, and um, he had prepared a message carefully for the men that would be there to hear him speak. The night came, he found his way into the sanctuary, and he looked out at the crowd, 
not a single man in the crowd. Everything that he had prepared was for the men. And there was a group of wonderful, faithful, older ladies. He had prepared a message. Except for this one kid over in the corner whose job back in those days was to pump the billows for the organ. The pastor had given him that job because he was always getting in trouble. So he was pumping the, the billows for the organ. And as he listened, as Musgrave tried to preach the best he could to this group of women, his heart was seared, and Jesus spoke to him. That little boy never forgot the message, and he grew up to become Dr. Livingston, the great missionary that went to Africa. So you never know. You never know who's in your midst. You never know as a pastor when you preach to a group like this or a group of young soldiers. You never know. Did they hear me? What about those of you that are Sunday school teachers and the kids are just having um, a, a sugar day? You don't know. What about those of you that lead the music and it doesn't seem like it's clicking on a particular Sunday? Not that that ever happens to you guys, but, but it, it does happen. And you wonder, can God use it? Sometimes I've preached and I've thought, that is the worst sermon I have ever preached. In fact, when I've preached this sermon at 8.15, Bill Hancock, who works with me, he came up to me and he said, thanks for being here, Sam. We're going to find somebody else for the next two services. We hope you have a great day. Um, <laughs> that's a true story, Mary Beth. That's what he <laughs> As he handed me my coat and car keys. <laughs> but, you know, that happens sometimes, and it just reminds us it's not about us, is it? It's about God. Because I can't tell you how many times I've had someone come up to me days, weeks, even years later and say, Sam, chaplain, you might not remember me, but I remember the time when, and Christ used that. Sunday school teachers, as a little boy, probably a lot like Brandon. Mrs. Tomlin loved me. She loved me. And I learned to love her. And I've never forgotten her. But I was probably her worst student. <laughs> That's the way it is. All of that to say, in John chapter 6, Jesus was going about ordinary ministry that he had accomplished day in and day out. And a crowd had gathered that day to hear him speak. And in that crowd of some 5,000 men, because they didn't count women and children in those days, there was a little boy. There was a little boy, a lad. Brandon, I think, was his name. And, and he had come because he heard this man named Jesus was coming to preach that day. And so Brandon... The little boy in John chapter 6, he brought all that he had. He brought a sack lunch. It had some barley loaves, which were the cheapest bread available at that day. He got them at the day old store. And he had a couple fish, and he brought them. And he wasn't important. He was just a kid. So he sat on the edge of the crowd that day. And when 
they came to Jesus and they said, look at this multitude. How are we going to feed them? I mean, it was more remote there in Tiberias than it is in Parish. I mean, there was no, no restaurants that you could order from. I mean, there was no piggly-wiggly supermarket. There was no cell phones. They hadn't even been invented yet. You couldn't call for pizza. I mean, there was nothing to feed these people. And the disciple said, but Jesus, there is this lad, and he has his lunch. It's just five loaves and two fish. I don't know what we can do with it. But here it is, Jesus. And Jesus just smiled because he knew that when we bring whatever we have and we offer it to him, he'll do the miraculous. That's the story. The story is that Jesus was on his way through this region. The crowd was still not sure, but they were, he was growing in popularity and I'm really worried I'm going to trip over that plant. <laughs> He was growing in popularity, and so as he gathered that day, I wonder what the crowd was like. There were some that wanted to believe with all of their heart because they had prayed for years that God would send a Messiah, someone who would deliver them from the captivity of the Romans. They wanted a Messiah more than anything. There were those that were looking for a spiritual Messiah, not just a military leader, but they were there. And then there were those as there always are, that were skeptics. They said, I want to see this guy because I know he's a crook. I know he's a scoundrel. So it was a mixed bag that day. And Jesus looked at him and he had compassion, as he always did. That's the story. And he sat and he taught them. And he also fed them with the little boy's lunch. The first disciple comes to Jesus and says, what are we going to do? There's too many people here. We can't feed them. What are we going to do? And you know what he saw? He saw a roadblock. He saw obstacles. And we all know people like that, don't we? We know people that even though Christ is in our midst, they have a lack of faith. All they can see are the obstacles. We can't do that. Jesus, we can't feed these people. We're too old. That's what they say in Sun City Center. We're too old. We can't do that. When I was at tech school in Biloxi, Mississippi, and I would preach to the young 18-year-olds, they'd say, but we can't do that. We're too young. Some people can't do it because we're too poor. We can't do it because we're too busy. We can't do it because we have other obligations. We can't do it because the worst answer ever. Because you don't know me. You don't know me. You don't know my background. You don't know the stinking, rotten things that I've done in my past. Jesus, you can't use me. You don't know me. But Jesus knew, and he knows all of us, doesn't he? God knows us, 
God is not a God that looked down at all of us and said, oh, I love this one and I love that one, and whoops, that one's a mistake. God never said that. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That includes good-looking people like you and ugly people like me. God loves us all. We're all his children, and he has called us, and he wants to use us. And he says, come unto me, bring what you have, five loaves of day-old bread and a couple fish. If that's all you have, just bring it and allow me to do the miraculous. The first disciple saw the obstacles. The second one saw the possibilities. He saw Brandon with his lunch. And he said, Lord, I don't know what you can do with this, but I trust you. I trust you, Lord. I don't know what you can do with this little bit, but I know in your hands all things are possible. And that's the story that I've been hearing for the last two years about the parish United Methodist Church. That, Lord, we might be a small church off of I-75 on 301, we, we may be made up of ordinary people, but we're here. We're here, and we're willing to feed kids on the weekend. We're willing to have a children's choir. We're willing to have a praise team. We're willing to open to our doors to anyone that wants to hear the gospel. Lord, we're here. I believe in the possibilities. And I thank God for that. The second disciple saw the possibilities. And then finally, what did the little boy see? I think the little boy saw the opportunity to be loved. He knew Jesus was there. He didn't know if Jesus needed his lunch or not, but if he did, it was there. He'd share it. He didn't know if Jesus would accept him, but he was willing to take a chance. And Jesus did. And Jesus blessed him. And Jesus used him the opportunities of service. What about you? Christ is here this morning. And you may have a lot, or you may have very little to offer him. But are you willing to give him whatever you have? Be it five loaves, or be it much more? Are you willing to give it to Christ, that he might use it and bless it? One of the things I know about Christ from his holy word is that he won't force you. He just asks you. He makes an invitation to come just as you are without one plea and receive him and the gift that he has to offer. What do you see? Well, it was Christmas Eve. It was the first year that I was an ordained elder in the United Methodist Church back in Bell Fountain, Ohio. It's a modified Akron-style sanctuary in the county seat. 
I had just been ordained. I had my brand new clergy robe on. I hadn't even taken the price tag out of the back yet. It was so new. I was so proud. Big pipe organs with the pipes on both sides had played. The church was full of candles, the greenery, the Christmas tree. It was beautiful. It was my first Christmas Eve. And you know how Christmas Eve at church is. It's a sacred, sacred moment. The organ had settled down, and I felt so honored in this solemn moment to be God's messenger, to share the message that Emmanuel, Christ, is with us. And as I prepared to push myself up from the chair, I heard it. Mr. Man! Mr. Man! Brandon, get back here! Brandon! Mr. Man! Mr. Man! He ran up the chancel steps, and I was in that chair, that high-back chair with the red velvet where I was sitting so pompous, full of myself, and he ran up, and he jumped in my lap, and he put his fat little stubby arms around my neck and hugged me, and he said, Mr. Man, Mr. Man, will you show me Jesus? Will you show me Jesus? Parish United Methodist Church, will you show me Jesus? Amen. As is our tradition every week, we come to the point in this service that we call our invitation to respond, where we give you the opportunity to reflect on the words from Christ that we've received today. And we do so in three ways. The first is by receiving the Lord's Supper of bread and juice. And please know that this is not a closed communion, but this is open to all who want to partake, who desire to partake this moment. And we have two stations in the front, and um, we'd love for you to to come as you're led to receive the Lord's Supper. The second is by the reception of your tithes and offerings, which are placed in the baskets on the tables. And not only your monetary gifts, but we have wooden coins on the side where you're able to donate one coin per hour of service that you've given to God's kingdom this week. And lastly, we offer this time as an opportunity for reflection and prayer. You can feel free to sit in your seats, to listen to the music, to stare at the ceiling, to come forward and kneel at the altar. It doesn't matter how you pray. It's just that you do pray, that in these moments that you connect to God and his holy word. So as we begin this rite of Holy Communion, will you join me in a blessing of these elements? Father of grace and glory, bless now the elements on your table. Let them be for us the body and blood of your covenant and strengthen us in these moments equal to the task of serving you, serving each other, and serving the world far beyond our walls. May we be bearers of your word, your compassion, and may we show Jesus. We pray all this in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Friends, however you choose to respond to the message, this is your invitation to respond. We pray that you would hear God's voice. 
The table is prepared. I invite you now to come to receive and to respond.
Father, may we be a generation that rises in your name to show your love and mercy to all those around us, placing our hope in him who is worthy of our loudest hosannas. Bless the meal that has taken place, the gifts that have been given, and every prayer that's been lifted to you. In Christ's holy name we pray. Amen. I invite you to stand as we sing the closing song. Thank you.